Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. So we're gathered again, the Senior Scribblers, for another Story Hour, located here in the wonderful studios and participating as well, some folks remotely, um, for another session of the Senior Story Hour. Steve Sherlock like speaking. To think of our studio, I like to think of our studios as palatial, yet not overly ostentatious. Sumptuous, then? For sure. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. And I'm wearing a black shirt today, but it has the Franklin Pride uh, T-shirt since the Pride celebration was this past Sunday. Mm. Um, black also because these are somewhat dark times, and that's why we gather so we can commiserate and share yeah. our and boost each other's as much as we can during yes. these <laughs> these trying yes. times yes. so I'm looking forward to uh, some interesting discussions today and interesting readings and I know we've got at least a script but before we get into that in particular let's do a round of who's here and whose voices you'll catch Alice Judge Pat Winiarski Nick Remesong Faith Flaherty Bill Wiley Zenobia Carson Marva L. Collins and Peter J. Indeed So do we want to start with the skit today because we're all kind of like <laughs> ready to go with this? Yeah, let's get it over with <laughs> Ready for prime time or not Here we go <laughs> We were six walking today We were walking in a single line since the path was narrow. Bill, as usual, was last because he was always taking pictures. Alice, as usual, was first. She was born here and had walked these woods mostly every day of her life. The rest of us had more or less lost our individuality in the confusion of conversations, rattling of water bottles, walking sticks, and branches snapping underfoot. Suddenly, we stopped because we became dimly aware of singing. Nick, the leader of the group, saw them first. It was a man walking a dog. He was singing John Denver's song, Sunshine on My Shoulders. Well, Bill and Al just happened to belong to choral groups and they joined in the singing. Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy. Sunshine in my eyes can make me cry. Sunshine on the water looks so lovely everyone knew this song so we all sang until we came abreast of the man and his dog we were all laughing as we enjoyed the spontaneous camaraderie we had a good time as we chatted about the perfect weather gorgeous nature and walking in the woods the man told us to walk around the Cow Cart Bridge to Wampanoag Cliffs to see a breathtaking view of Boston and Rhode Island. Alice was surprised. She had lived here all her life and had never heard of Wampanoag Cliffs. She knew Nuckup Hill had a view of Boston but where this place was, where we could see both Boston and Rhode Island. We had to see this, so off we went. You'll be sorry. What did he say? It sounded like, you'll be sorry, but he must have meant, you won't be sorry. All right. <laughs> where was this Wampanoag Cliffs? How come we never heard of it? Sorry. What? Let's go. Did he say to go through Burnt Swamp? Well... He mentioned Calcutt Bridge. Isn't that the wooden walkway? Sorry. Yes. Alice, how come we never walked that way? It's too wet. We haven't had rain in a while, so it can't be too muddy. There it is. Look at all those lady slippers. Bill stops to take pictures. 
Sorry. Who keeps saying sorry? I thought I heard that. Is, is that what it's saying? Is it you? No. The path is going up. I've been this far. There used to be a building for the Skeeto Cables. Oh, it's still here. See up ahead. Sorry. There it is again. Everyone was quiet and listening. Well, what are we listening for? Someone keeps calling sorry. Are you sure? It's creepy. Oh, look at the view. Spectacular. You can see Boston. I wish it were earlier in the day so we could see it in bright sunlight. It's only 6 o'clock. Uh, oof. Look at that storm cloud on the left. Everyone was silent as they looked at the storm cloud approaching. Sorry. I heard it. That's what you're talking about. Yes. You know, that storm cloud looks like a funnel. It's moving fast. Is it a tornado? Quick, let's run to the shack. Everyone ran as big raindrops pelted down on them. The door to the shack luckily wasn't locked. They all rushed in. We made it. Just in time. Boy, are we lucky. Where did that storm come from? Just then, the room lit up followed by a second later by thunder. Yikes! That storm is directly over us. Well, we'll just have to wait it out. Can we all fit sitting down? Is there room? Wait a minute. Bill is missing. Oh, no. Thunder rocked the shack. They opened the door a crack and looked out. But the wind was fierce and the rain blew in their faces. But they called Bill. Bill! What should we do? Text him. Okay. Is there even internet here? I don't know, but he's not answering anyway. You think he ran back down? Who knows? We'll have to wait until the storm subsides a bit. That little bit of time turned into an hour before they cracked the door open. Sorry. Not again. Who keeps saying sorry? Look at that bird. It's a mockingbird. Well, that explains the sorry. The mockingbird is saying, sorry. <laughs> hey, let's everyone call Bill. Billy! Billy? I think I heard an echo. How eerie. Scary. Sorry. <laughs> everyone <laughs> laughed nervously. <sighs> well, let's stop back down. Hopefully Bill is waiting for us. The storm turned the weather humid as the group trudged slowly in the darkening light through wet grass, mud, and slippery roots and rocks. How come the way home is always longer than going up? Maybe because it's taking us longer because the walking is treacherous. It's getting awfully dark. I still hear thunder in the distance. Sorry. How much longer do you think? Mm, 20, 30 minutes. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> I hope Bill is waiting for us at the bottom. Look, look, a flashlight is coming up the hill. Their hearts were beating with joy as they rushed down. The light came closer and closer, but it wasn't Bill. Hello, did you people get caught in that microburst? Is that what it was? Yes, and we lost one of our group. Did you see him? No, I didn't see anyone. Why are you going this way? Shouldn't we be going down across the burnt swamp walkway? That's flooded out. Oh. It is? It wasn't long before the group came to Trout Pond and the road leading to the parking lot. Look, there's Bill waiting for us. Hallelujah. Hey. What, happened? what happened? What happened? I ran back before the storm, and when I realized that, that one, no, no one was following me, I had no choice but to keep running back. The downpour and wind whipped me along all the way. What a relief. But when the group went to introduce the man who helped them come down, he was gone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Great writing. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm going to have to cobble up a baker's dozen of Oscars for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, you were perfect as a narrator because your voice is so distinct from ours that we could tell that it was the narrator. Oh, thank giving you. Giving us that picture, yeah. Yeah, that worked. I have a couple of poems I want to read. Okay, let's go, Bill. Uh, this one is called uh, Our Song. If you are the melody, I am the tune. I'll sing my song and make you swoon. The words will flow like whipped cream. 
It will fill every crack and burst at the seams. I will express my love and rhyme my words. Your melody will flow until it is heard. If you are the music, I am the words. A sweet tune will sound like, just like the birds. Like birds in the sky, our love it will soar. It will be so beautiful, I'll always want more. Violins will play as our love grows strong. It will ebb and fade and never be gone. As our love continues past the middle eight, the song will be on and just sound so great. As we get close to the end of this great tune, the music goes higher, it will make you swoon. The drums start to bang, the guitars will scream, but it will only be the beginning of our sweet dream. It's gonna need some sound effects. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beautiful as always, Bill. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, uh, this one is called uh, Dynamite. <laughs> Lovely lady from far away, I want you here, I have to say. You are a beauty I want in my life. Maybe someday I'll make you my wife. You make me feel happy when I think of you. Our love is strong, our love is true. I sit on my bed as I write these words. Let's sit in your yard and listen to the birds. By your side I want and always must be. I will show my love to all to see. It makes me happy to know you care. Oh, please let down your long dark hair. I will be right there when I hear you call. I will hold you close. I'll give you my all. You bring light to the darkest night. You make me feel like dynamite. <laughs> How's that? How's that one? <laughs> Set that one up. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'll do random acts of kindness. Random acts of kindness. We can always use those. <clears throat> yeah, we can always use that, especially in today's world. There I was in line at the grocery store. The cashier scanned my items. The beggar did his job. My cart filled to overflowing. I remember thinking it would take me a long time to bring those bags into my apartment and put them away. So here I was. The grocery bags were overbrimming in my cart, and I was searching for my debit card from the local bank to pay. Where was that card? I couldn't find it. The cashier was patiently waiting. I was aware of the line behind me. I decided to write a check from the same bank where I had my debit card. Should be no problem, right? The cashier tried several times to insert the check. Nothing. You have been declined, she said. That shouldn't be, I said. There's plenty of money in there. To make a a story even longer, the manager came over. He attempted to help. Meanwhile, I'm searching my purse to find another credit debit card. No, nothing. After maybe 20 minutes, it became apparent that I wasn't taking my food home. I moved over to customer service with the manager, who glanced at my shopping cart filled with bags. I could read his mind. Who was going to have to put all that stuff back? Frazzled, I quickly retreated to a nearby bench, close to the entrance and exit to call my bank. It was Saturday. This particular bank has a lot of questions for you to answer before they inform me of my balance. Today, the line was busy. Oh, great. I sat there waiting for the line to clear when the woman who was behind me in the grocery line came over to me. She gave me $50 in cash. I pushed her hand away. Oh, no, I couldn't take that. The woman had gone over to customer service, cashed a check, and now she gave me the money. Take it, please, and buy what you need. I insist. I thanked her profusely, embarrassed, and wanting to crawl in a hole. I sat there for a while thinking about what had just happened. The woman's generosity overwhelms me even now. With that $50, I was able to get some essentials, and I vowed to pay it forward because everyone needs a step up at times. 
I contacted my bank, and they couldn't figure out why my check didn't work, since indeed there was plenty of money in my account. The banker's final words were, you should have used your debit card. Well, if I could have found it, I would have. With technology moving fast in our world, this makes me wonder if checks will somehow be a thing of the past. And we seniors will tell our grandchildren nostalgically about how we used to write checks to buy items. Once upon a time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's coming. Now now if you get a a check, you scan it. (laughs) Yeah. The same with your credit card. You just wave it over the um, the screen. Uh, Touch it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Lots of things happening at the Senior Center on a regular basis, Mm. including us. Generally, for those listening, if you'd like to join us, I'll put in that plug impromptu, but as a reminder as well. We meet at the Senior Center on Wednesdays at 1 o'clock, and we have a remote option. So even if you can't physically get to the Senior Center in Franklin, and we're fortunate because we can do the remote option, we also have interstate visitors with us, including (laughs) a couple today. So we appreciate that uh, joining and camaraderie that's being built uh, virtually uh, as we seniors go forward. So if others would like to join, contact the Senior Center or contact the radio station and we'll get you the appropriate info, get on the mailing list, and uh, eventually you can join us. So now after that station break, (laughs) who who wants to go next? (laughs) Yep, I'll go ahead. I have a young friend, very young, 21 young, and he is 21 with all the recklessness of 21 and all the strength and exuberance of 21, but he's also 21 with emotional and intellectual challenges that set him apart from his peers. It is not the nature of the challenges, but the intensity and debilitating nature of his reactions to these challenges that sets him apart. Going into the world of daily work, work necessary to sustain yourself and pay your bills, bills that you're facing for the first time in your life, is a punch in the gut that knocks you off your feet and shatters your brain. This happens to everyone. Most people, though, can get up and assess the situation, recovering sufficiently to process through the fear and confusion, using lessons learned from the past experiences in life that have given them the confidence to move forward. The anxiety can be controlled and overcome and the uh, seemingly unending onslaught of information can be categorized and prioritized, making the finding of one's place in this new world a little easier and somewhat less challenging. But if you're like my young friend, processing just one piece of data is a Herculean task. Couple that with handling interpersonal skills, and that is a mountain he cannot climb. The anxiety and the innate feeling of not being good enough at anything causes him to shut down and listen to the voices in his head telling him he is indeed not good enough, nor is he liked by anyone around him. Most of us have also heard those voices, but we have the skills and ability to walk past them and seek the counsel of friends and family for help. But my young friend cannot see a way around these obstacles and the condemnation of self as he cannot fully express his fears to anyone as he truly believes he is disliked by everyone around him, friends and family alike. He has failed once again, and kindness and understanding are not his due. This perpetual cycle of my young friend's inability to process information, a cycle leading to anxiety and paranoia, has caused him to abruptly leave every job he has ever had. Invariably, every time I see him after his leaving a job, There is a deepening to the look of despair and defeat in his eyes, a look that should never be in the eyes of anyone as young as my young friend. Mm. How sad. Mm. Yes, advice. Yeah, (laughs) I can identify a bit with that because I'm a people pleaser, and um, unless I am getting constant positive feedback, Um, you know, it's depressing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was in my 50s that 
I had this um, terrible disease that they thought was ulcerative colitis, but fortunately it wasn't. I got over it. It's called Cronkite Candida Syndrome, and um, it's caused by a buildup of stress all your life. Mm. And I'm there, what stress? You know, I didn't have any mm -hmm. stress. And the only thing I can think of is that it's because I'm a people pleaser and that I always want you to like me, to think I'm doing a good job. And it was in my 50s when it hit me. So I can see where that's coming mm -hmm. from and it makes you sick. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, the same thing. And when I think back, that's what I'm saying. I should have never had a job that was required a boss over me because I was always trying to please them. Do you like me? Am I doing good? It's constant yeah. in my mind, you know. Mm -hmm. I should have done something, I don't know, on my own, figured it out. And the wisdom from hindsight. Yeah, hindsight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Zenobi, you want to go next? I will go. Um, this is about camping. Last week, my son's fiance asked me to look up or look into nearby campgrounds to see if there might be a place we could all go for a short time to do some of that getting to know you stuff. As we chatted, she asked, did you ever go camping as a kid? My first response was no, because we never did as a family. But after I hung up, I thought, I and I remembered that I had gone camping in 1961. Too late, too late to fix my answer with her, but I sat at my computer and typed in the name Camp Reynoldswood in Dixon, Illinois. Of course, it wouldn't be there, I guess, but no sooner than I thought it, the name, along with its location, popped into view. It couldn't be the same one, I thought, but there it was, big as you please, in bold lettering, Reynoldswood Christian Camp and Retreat located on the west edge of Dixon, Illinois, 10 minutes from I-88. Reynolds Wood, 170 acres of sprawling woods and meadows provide ample space for recreation, relaxation, and rejuvenation. In 1961, when I came home from school and spied that tri-folded brochure on my bed, I remember just thinking, Hot dog. I'd been begging to go to camp for years. Hot dog and hot dog again. I'm <laughs> going to camp. My mother was sending me off for two weeks. Hot diggity dog with mustard and onions. <laughs> when I told a couple of friends, <laughs> they made faces and remarked, Christian camp? What do you do there? Pray all day? <laughs> I had not thought of it uh, that way. Despite the promise of horseback riding, archery, and sing-alongs around the campfire, I suspected a daily dose of prayer and scripture and maybe a sermon or two tossed in for good measure. But not to be deterred, I kept my enthusiasm on high. After all, two weeks was two weeks. And I'd never been on a horse. Might be fun. In the second week of June, my bags were packed and ready to go, along with my toiletries, was packed a generous supply of the now defunct 612 insect repellent. We later learned that the mosquitoes in Dixon used it as a seasoning on our skin <laughs> and practically ate us alive. But as we were boarding the bus and leaving Chicago, I took one last look at my mother and little brother, poor left behind people, and stepped into the land of exhaust fumes and 20 or more first time campers between the ages of 13, 12 and 15, assisted by young counselors who looked as if they were our own age, who kept assuring us of all the great times ahead. In a few hours, we reached the camp piled out of the bus and stepped onto everything the brochures had promised, 
sun, sky, woods, greenery, and a beautiful view of Lake Michigan. My mind sang hot dog again, but I didn't say it out loud as we were assigned our cabins and given a few minutes before being herded into the mess hall for dinner. We girls were paired off all the way from the bus, uh, all the way from our bus introductions and a girl named Roberta who asked to be called Bobby with an I partnered with me. Everyone told her how much she looked like Annette from the Mickey Mouse Club, and she did. So I felt honored that she and I were becoming besties. Yes, there was prayer before and after our meals, but I was used to that. Singing the prayer, however, was new, but kind of fun and kind of cool. The words, be present at our table, Lord, be here and everywhere adored. I'd never heard before. We sang it though, our voices blending like chimes in the wind. I wish my naysayer friends in Chicago could have seen the fun we were having. The boys were a different story. They were fun, but we didn't quite know what to do about them. They were a gangly collection of young men, all feet and arms with the sparse beginnings of hair on their upper lips. They told silly jokes, laughed at inappropriate times, and smelled funny. They probably said the same thing about us, <laughs> minus the mustaches. Our two weeks flashed by. The bug, spray, the bug repellent continued not to work. We got to ride one of two horses who were eager to get us off their backs. We made lanyards, and we made lanyards, and we made lanyards. We were given burlap sacks and sticks for the obligatory snipe hunt, not reading the smirks on the faces of the older campers until it was too late. There was Bible reading around the campfire with flashlights and lanterns. There were also tall tales and spooky stories. We sang Kumbaya, I had never heard that, and Michael who rowed his boat ashore. Everything we did, was with the fervency of young minds and hearts. Our small world would enlarge in a very short time. Those boys with their squaggly mustaches would go far beyond the blue of Lake Michigan to fight in a war in a place we could barely locate on our maps. In two years, we would lose a president in an unthinkable manner. The world would shift and change right and left before our eyes, and we would struggle to change with it. My eyes fell again on the Google discovery, and I opened the photo and saw the sprawling acres with hundreds of children, teens, and adults seeming to have, as we had, the time of their lives. I tried to picture our cabins, but surely they had rotted away and knew new ones equipped with Wi-Fi and internet capability had taken their places. I am sure they sang songs of faith, silly songs, and even popular ones of today. I wonder though, if when the night is very still, they hear an eerie echo of long ago campers singing Kumbaya. We sang it then, not knowing that one day, maybe this day, with the world as it is, we would need it more than ever. Kumbaya, come by here, my Lord. Come by here. Excellent. Thank very you. nice. Wow. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. Well done. Beautifully yeah. done. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, my you, late, my you late sister Susan used to sing that song. Mm. Yeah, well, you struck a chord. We used to sing Kumbaya. Michael rowed the boat ashore yeah. all the time. Oh. <laughs> All the time during yeah. the 60s, and the yes. grace that you started, be present at the table, Lord. Whenever yes. I'm in Colorado, before every meal, my son and daughter-in-law have my grandchildren say that. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. <laughs> yep. It was Wonderful. beautiful. It was a beautiful prayer. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard you say say a word I haven't heard in a while. Uh, toiletries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an old one. Toiletries. Yeah, yeah. I went to a Christian camp also, and it was great. So can can you follow that one, Pete? Yeah, I could do that. Hold on, let me get myself organized here. Um, I uh, I'm reading a book called A Gentleman in Moscow. Oh, I read yes. that. I loved it. Yeah, it's a wonderful read. Yeah. Um, and it reminded me of a piece I wrote many years ago uh, in a sort of similar uh, style. Uh, I wrote this for a client, I'm going to say back in 1987. So it's it's been a while. Uh, but it was always kind of a favorite piece of mine. Um, where does greatness come from? A royally appointed governor was noted for his affable comportment and the proper orderly carriage of his office. He was reputed to be a caring man of great grace, clearly a gentleman. His physical countenance was average, unremarkable by most measure, an ordinary man who captained his office to extraordinary effect. His warm yet crisp comportment encouraged an affable respect. He was easily approachable, a man for his people. The governor's day began in regular fashion as his butler, a gentleman's gentleman, entered his chambers at the first of each morning. The butler systematically drew back the curtains to welcome in the day, set a proper wardrobe, and awoke the governor with the same cheery greeting. It's a good morning, sir. I trust you slept well. Arise, for you have great work to do today. And thus it was from this simple, mannerly, momentary ritual that the good governor began his day. He would set out crisply to attend to his matters and to busy himself at length with the many affairs and complexities of state. During the many gratifying years of his appointment, the governor established himself as an able man, consistently demonstrating a steady leadership through his visionary purpose and wisdom. Throughout the breadth of his tenure, the people and region that he was charged with keeping enjoyed security and prosperity. He was admired by all. Upon his retirement and the conclusion of a now illustrious and exemplary career filled with many public and personal accomplishments, a festive celebration was arranged in appreciation for the governor's good service to the region. The governor's duly appointed successor was also invited to preside over the ceremonies. Hoping to continue in the tradition of the governor's exemplary service, the successor asked for a private audience so that he might receive some special counsel from this great man. In a quiet moment, governor was asked to what special source of vigor did he attribute such enduring success? To what private mentor did he turn to draw his wisdom? Did he always aspire to greatness as a leader? His audience listened intently as the governor's matter of fact reply came without hesitation. If greatness is the end effect of my efforts, I must tell you that it was never my cause. Indeed, I have never premeditated a specific path to greatness. Each of us has his humble tasks to perform. Often, the greater difficulty lies not in the doing, but in the starting. If any greatness has come to me, it is because throughout my years as governor, I was graced with the constancy of a most dedicated friend, someone who regularly reminded me through both word and deed of the importance of beginning. He consistently inspired me to begin anew all of my tasks, great and small, with enthusiasm and dispatch. Each day, my friend counseled me briefly, yet wisely, always in the same unerring fashion, and steadfastly set me on my course of accomplishment with the simplest of advice. Arise, for you have great work to do today. Where does greatness come from? The greatness of life is nothing more than a broad measure, an aggregation of other qualities. Constancy dependability, humor, integrity. But these things are made part of greatness only when they are manifest through timely act and deed. Thus, while the potential for greatness is realized in a proper doing of things, the greatest part of greatness is in our commitment to begin. Through his years of gathered wisdom, the governor came to understand, indeed, to fully appreciate that each precious new day comes to us as a gift not to be squandered. Each and every day, a fresh new opportunity for greatness presents itself. That opportunity, that opportunity rises as surely and warmly as the sun. 
to greet all of us in equal measure. Each of us in turn can rise at will to affirm our own greatness by simply rising crisply to begin. Arise for you have great work to do today. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well said. That was amazing. Push for thought. Thank you. And Marva, do you have something for us today? I do. This is from a, a book called Forever Treasures. And it's by Barbara Cross, who wrote an anthology of life and legacy. And what is a gift you receive from someone who has crossed over to the other side? And she asked me to do, to write something. My uh, son had recently passed away uh, within a week or two. And she asked me to write this. So here, I'm going to share that. Jamal, a chapter of life. My son was loved by everyone. He was that guy who made everyone feel accepted and comfortable in their skin. It would be very hard to find someone who didn't love Jamal. But on November 11, 2017, when he was 45, he was attacked, which led to his death. When Jamal was very young, he traveled the neighborhood looking to see who he could get to know, what he could learn. His greatest passion was to know people and to talk to them. Jamal was always unapologetic about his trips through the neighborhood. He would explain where he'd been and what he'd been doing with the puzzled look as if to question what all the fuss was about. He felt safe in the world and served as an example to all of us of what life looks like when you feel safe in the world and in yourself. At seven years old, he developed severe asthma. Even that did not stop him. He faithfully did the breathing exercises the doctor gave him, then discovered football, running, and track. He jumped hurdles, ran relays. He jumped long and triple jumps. Asthma never had a chance with this kid. I watched him and learned that no matter what, you never, never quit. His highest college achievement was becoming number one in the nation in the triple jump. And the record he set in 1994 still stands. Jamal died just two weeks uh, after being notified that he was being inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame at his college. I believe that Jamal knew his time was near. Three weeks prior to his death, Jamal began calling those he loved and ending each conversation with, I love you. He called his high school best friends. He called his college track and field mates. He also wanted to talk to his nieces and nephews. And when he asked for their telephone numbers, he said, they need to know Uncle Jobo, which we lovingly called him, as a matter of fact. In our conversation, in, in our conversation we talked in a, at a deeper level than we had before. I am convinced he was preparing me. Most people think that the last time I saw my son was when he was in the hospital connected to life support, but that is not so. The last time I saw him was after the life support was disconnected and I was leaving the hospital with our family members. I looked behind me and I clearly saw Jamal leaving the hospital with us. His last show of love for us was to escort us out of the hospital into the dark midnight hour. He saw us safely to our cars and then left to go on yet another adventure. Oh, beautiful, Marva. Wow. Beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, how beautiful. Wonderful. Beautiful, yes. Thank you. Present and presence. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very well done. Yes. How powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, I know we've got some newer folks, and I think I did this at one point in time, or at least a shorter per- portion of it, but what I thought I'd do is tell the origin of uh, Shirku, which I think for those who have re- listened, uh, I do Shirku. It's uh, my own version, personalized, creative uh, version of haiku, and its origin is in itself a story. So I'll work a couple of poems into that uh, in the storytelling, and 
you can follow along so you'll know about Shirku. I had been writing for a bit. Um, I had been following some poetry readings, uh, following poets, doing a bunch of writing. After one particular poetry reading given by Galway Kinnell, who turns out had been actually born in Providence. I, grew, I was actually born in Providence, although I grew up in Pawtucket. Uh, I wrote this poem after his reading. And it was effectively a series that I did, I think it was six or seven years in a row, around Advent. So, this Advent. Pay no attention to the moon, the stars, or their position. What is of importance in our personal scenario is the surety of the poem that he reads, looking at us as if we were the script. And we are, in a way, for on this line of sight is written all that happened this past 12 months. Drawn forward now, they play black and white, producing in time a melody, a note rising, thematic, as in the cross of two dot shadows, there lies a darker diamond. As in the depths of desire, there penetrates a light, brighter than the stars, more constant than the moon, holy, inspiring, guiding us to the road to be traveled. On a lighter note, I'd also discovered the form called a limerick. And the limerick can get a little bawdy, so you'll, <laughs> if you know me, you'll know I won't go that far. So there was a lad from Pawtucket who now had to <laughs> wait, rhyme wait, wait, with wait Socket. But he did not dare, as he did not swear, so he found a way to duck it. <laughs> <laughs> and along the course of my journey exploring poetry, I came across the Dodge Poetry Festival, which generally was scheduled for every two years. And yes, in the, uh, in the even years. So later this year, 2022, in October in Newark, Dodge Poetry Festival will reoccur for up to four days. Um, I'd been to a couple of them, and in 2006 in particular, I went, and some of my internet writers that we were uh, following each other then knew I was going, so Patty Dye had given me a request that if I got to see Billy Collins to get an autograph for her. So I managed to do that. I had an extra copy of the program, found Billy along one of the pathways, asked and he wrote it to Patty, and then I got her address and sent it off to her later. Of course, Billy Collins told the story at one of his readings, and he gave several during the course of the days. Uh, he created a new type of poem, which was truly meant to be a parody, and it was called a paradelle. And it was done in fun as a parody of the French form villanelle. Now, the villanelle, without getting into great, great detail, is this scheme of specific repetitions and it goes in a way that it just it gets convoluted it's so billy did even better than that he created an impossible one you you can follow it to a certain point then after that it just gets too complex um but it was just like oh people can create their own forms <clears throat> so that's part of it along the way there was also a wandering poet Edmund Baranowski gave himself the name as the wandering poet, and he was dressed in what I would call a typical. He had this long, flowing hat, long, flowing hand, hair, uh, the, kind of the English fluffy, long white sleeves, shirts, etc., um, and sandals, of course. And he had this leather bag strapped, and uh, during the course, I would see him in different groups. And one day I was walking, and I was meandering. I didn't have to go in a hurry. So he stopped me. He says, give me a poem. I said, really? He says, yeah, give me a poem. I said, well, let me think about it a little bit and I'll see if I can, re see if I can remember one from memory. He says, yes, do so. And he pulled out from his bag and he just read a poem of his. I don't remember at all, but I remember it had to do with hands. And that prompted my memory. So Orange Numbers was the poem I memorized, and I still have it memorized. If we roll an orange round first, 
it will peel like an apple second. So you can give me a quarter of it third, so we can be slobber our mouths with its juice fourth, and have a magnificent excuse for a kiss sixth, and clean up our act. Fifth? Fifth? Oh, yes, there was a fifth. By the time it gets passed around and backed again, <laughs> there'll be nothing left. Let's have another orange. <laughs> he loved it. And he said, well, you've got to do something else. And I said, okay, well, you know, this is a festival. We'll be around, et cetera. So <clears throat> some ideas came together, and the story gets shorter. But the first shirku I gifted to him the next day. So Waterloo Shirku for Edmund. Sandaled wanderer, coupling poetry with voice. Giving creates attention. Sandaled wanderer, coupling poetry with voice. Giving creates attention. And since I was still struggling with, you know, kind of the old long form that I had done, um, I wrote my first set of Shirku instructions the longer way. So, if you want to follow, Shirku instructions. It's easy enough to start. You're out somewhere, wherever something catches your eye. You take a picture, frame it in your mind's eye. Then begin the linguistic gymnastics you have trained for since birth. Take your pen, dip it into the dictionary, Find the word, just that shade, just that luster, just that sound. So when they open the book, turn to this page, read these words aloud. They step into the frame, feel the breeze on their arm in the shade of the hemlock grove, hear the hissing along the trail, and stop to see the snapping turtle. And then, of course, because I'm creating Shirku, I had to do that in a shorter form. So I did Shirku version one. 17 is not enough, but two more makes 19 still an impossible goal. So, and I forgot to conclude that part that haiku generally is three lines, five, seven, five, 17 syllables. Generally Oriental, Japanese, but their dialect, if anybody has ever listened to it, is completely different from an American dialect. American poet, named brain cramp for the moment, so we'll skip that one, <laughs> said the American idiom is really in three or four syllables. And if you think of all the marketing, just do it, those are three and four syllables. So I've revised, so the haiku 17 plus two, my first writing was Steve's two cents, because my mother had always said, don't say anything unless you can add value. So if I couldn't put my two cents in there, I just, shut up. <laughs> Hence, 19 syllables in lines of four, five, or six. You know, generally three or four syllables, but sometimes five or six, depending upon how the American idiom really works out. So another version of that short form, focus your writing, say it all concentrated in just 19 syllables. And then along the way, there's also what I call found coup. So there are 19 syllables that somebody else has written so I can find the shirt coup and give them the credit for it. So there's a group, Runa, Irish music. They've played at the Circle of Friends Coffee House. They do a song uh, called Dancing in the Graveyard. Great video on YouTube. You can go Google it. So shirt coup, dance. I don't want to rest in peace I want to dance, dance in joy, dance in the graveyard. That's their words, 19 syllables, it was perfect. <clears throat> and I'll close with the one that I started, I wrote in 2020, middle of the pandemic, close family member had a, a challenging diagnosis, so I wrote fear not, so F-E-A-R-K-N-O-T. Obviously, I also am a punster. I like to play on the words. Shirku, fear not. I wake fearful, take a breath, realize it is a new day. We can do this. And I'll repeat that. I wake fearful, take a breath, realize it is a new day. We can do this.
So that's kind of the background and the story of Shirku. I just realized why that's not on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Shirku was something that was established. I'd never heard of it, but now yeah. I understand. It's yes. Sherwood. I had never heard of yes. it. Yeah. 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 You can go Watch to quietpoet.com mm -hmm. and find effectively the longer version in other uh, Shirku, as well as my other poetry, all in one place, quietpoet.com. So I think today we've had, along the journey, we've gone in the woods, heard some storms, had some dynamite poetry, <laughs> lessons of being 21, a gift to be given, to repay at some point. Some words of wisdom that also tie in in many ways. There were th a lot of things that we talked about today continue to touch upon each other. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think we didn't all plan, we, we planned on meeting here, but we did not synchronize the writing other than the script. And for it all to come together like that, I think is mm -hmm. just cool. <laughs> My song poem, there was one line, you know, past the middle eight. I wasn't sure what people knew what that was. Cause that, that was a phrase the Beatles always, always used. Mm -hmm. The middle eight. <laughs> the middle eight. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Well, thank you all for participating today. Thanks for the listeners. Thank you all for listening. Come back often. And if you want to write, if you have some writings you want to share, as I mentioned in the kind of inserted promo earlier, contact the Franklin Senior Center or contact Franklin Public Radio. Uh, links are available in the podcast, wherever you get that, or you can Google and find out the info accordingly. We'll add you to the mailing list, and we'll come back again. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.